Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. Well, Daniel, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. You and I met at the Build Your Network Live event, and I was really impressed with your presentation for a number of reasons. Number one, just where you've come from and, and where you are now. We have similar stories. I haven't told you much about my background, but I really was impressed with your work ethic and, and you building your business. So for our listeners, Daniel does, well, he works with a lot of people that do self-directed IRAs, which is why I'm interested in working with him. And, and I've had many clients in the past that have done very, very well with real estate investments through their self-directed IRAs. But that's just a part of what you do. So Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and tell us about self-directed IRAs and, and let's go from there. Yeah, so I own a company called Quest Education, and in a nutshell, we help entrepreneurs with their finances so they can focus more on, on their businesses. And we, we specifically work with a lot of entrepreneurs where you know they might have a real estate business or an e-commerce business or you know some kind of brick and mortar business, and they're just so engulfed with the day-to-day -day operations of their business, their finances are kind of on the back burner. And we've seen this glaring need where entrepreneurs, you know, they'll have an IRA or 401k and it's just set it and forget it. You know, it's, it's yeah. in an IRA with Fidelity or Edward Jones and it's in some high fee mutual fund that they know nothing about. And they don't realize because they're a business owner, the IRS allows them to set up retirement accounts that are specifically for entrepreneurs that really open up the doors for, for them financially. You know, a, a client that really comes to my mind, I have a client out in San Diego, and he had a 401k through his employer, and he just got sick and tired of working for someone else, you know, working that nine to five, and he always wanted to be his own, his own boss. So he had the ability to quit his job and tap into his 401k with no penalties, no taxes, and he started his own turf business. So his company wow. installed turf. For, you know, the football fields, soccer fields, you know, I'm out here in Las Vegas and there's not a lot of real grass out here, right? It's a ton of turf. <laughs> yeah. So that's his business model, but he was able to pull out 50K, 50,000, no penalties, no taxes and start wow. his own business through the power of a self-directed account. And he didn't know about that before talking to us. You know, he, he wasn't aware because that's not, not something that financial advisors and CPAs really talk to people about. No, I, I love it. And, you know, I have a ton of clients who over the, the years, they, they've said, you know, I just I have this 401k. I don't really do anything with it. I don't even know how much I have in there. It doesn't really grow or do anything. I sure wish I could do something with it. And I've always said, you know, look into a, a self-directed IRA or, or 401k. And, and I think it's so smart. So it sounds like people who maybe want to step away from their job and start a business. I mean, I've always thought maybe they could get into flipping, they could get into owning real estate, but it sounds like they could even 
just start any business with their self-directed 401k. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, the IRS doesn't really have tons of restrictions as far as what you can and cannot use the money for. There's a, an IRS prohibited transactions list of, of transactions you can't make with these accounts. Like, for example, you can't use the retirement account to purchase a property and then live in it. Right? You right. can't use the retirement account to buy a car. You, you can't lend the money out to your brother. Right. So there, there's these prohibited transactions that you can't make, but you can really open up the doors as far as using the money to start, you know, an e-commerce business or a turf company like Steve did in San Diego or real estate. You know, a lot of our clients are, they're using their retirement accounts to flip homes, to invest into multifamily, you know, they'll, they'll put their money in a, in a big pool of, of dollars where, you know, their 50,000 or a hundred thousand is just, uh, an amount of money towards the fund, right? Maybe there's $5 million in, in that fund and, you know, it's, it's, it's purchasing an apartment complex and, and they're making, you know, their, their rate of returns. You, you can't do those kind of investments with your IRA at Edward Jones or Fidelity or Charles Schwab, right? Mm -hmm. So as you alluded to self-directed, it, it's, it's a descriptive term. You get to self-direct your funds. You get to control your own money and not just be at the mercy of, you know, your financial advisor that's not going to talk to you about these kind of options. Right. No, I love it. I love that. And I want to dive more into that. And I've had clients do it in the past. I had, a, I had a professor from the college I went to. I got into real estate. I was working with flippers. I found him a flip. He bought it for, I think, 160 through his IRA. So 160000 put, I think, 30 into it and sold it for 230000 Now, the thing was, is he couldn't work on the property. That was one of the rules. He couldn't live in the property while he owned it. And the money went from the profit. So the, I don't know how much money that is. I think he, after commissions, he made about 50 grand. But in three months, he made 50 grand. And that just went back into the, into the self-directed IRA. Yeah. And, and cool that was a little bit more than he was making <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that rate of return is, is huge. And then also the tax benefits, right? Now, yep. that if you've done that outside of a retirement account, now he's got that, that jump in income, right? So yep. he's going to have to pay you know, a higher tax bill because of that $50,000 increased income. But because yep. it was in a retirement account, it's tax deferred, sometimes even tax free. So now he's got even more money to work with. I mean, if he started with 160 and now he's got 230, now he can take that 230 and just keep snowballing it, keep rolling it onto other properties. And, and between the tax benefit and then compound interest, you know, that's how these accounts can really, really, really jump up in, in value. I love it. I love it. And you can do, you could even do hard money loans, right? Yeah, you can be your own bank. Yeah, you, you I have could, a friend that, that does that. So he's he's got about $2 million out from investors. Where So he'll actually not do the flip. He's the hard money lender. So he'll find the flipper. He'll vet the flip. He's a realtor. So he'll do the comps, make sure it's a good deal. He's in first position with his investors. And they'll get, they're getting anywhere from an 8 to a 12 to sometimes on a bigger, riskier deal, 15% on their money. And yeah, in three to four months, their money's back in their bank. You're back with their IRA account. So he's just crushing it right now. And I know my uncle's done that in Boise where doctors who just got out of med school that couldn't qualify for a loan, but obviously are making great money. 
they couldn't get a loan. So they would get hard money loans through him for a year until they could qualify for a loan. And, and he was using his self-directed IRA. So I think there's tons of examples, people making way more than they could just leaving it in there. But I want to ask you a question. I, I'm curious how you got into this and, and when did you start working with financial advising and, and really with the self-directed IRAs and 401ks? Yeah, so I, I've been really in, in the, the financial space, so to speak, now for, shoot, about 12 years. I, I got my first uh, job dealing with real estate investors when I was 18. I was, uh, wow. I was selling real estate uh, services over the phone, actually in the same state that you're in, in Utah. So that's where I got started in my, in my sales huh. career and uh, got introduced to, to real estate, learned a little bit here and there about real estate. More so my my ability to sell, right? I never considered myself a salesperson. I was just kind of wandering through life when I was 17, 18 years old. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, grew up right? I didn't know if I wanted to go to college. If you had asked me when I was 17, hey, do you want to be a salesperson? I'd have been like, no. So <laughs> 18 years old, I, I'd get a job, like I said, selling real estate services. And, and through this industry, I learned about self-directed accounts because I would be talking to clients and they would say something to the effect of, yeah, I just use my retirement account to flip a house or yeah, I just use my retirement account to, you know, purchase a rental property. And, and that piqued my interest because I always understood that retirement accounts were for mutual funds or for mm -hmm. Nike stock, you know, Walmart stock. So that really opened up my eyes there. And uh, so I, I stuck with the, the, the real estate uh, coaching, real estate coaching services for about five or six years. And I got to a point where as I started to learn more about the actual business model and, and the fulfillment and really what I was selling, I, I got to a point where I, my heart wasn't in it anymore. I just felt like I wasn't doing the kind of good work that I really wanted to do. I think for the salespeople that are out here, you know, listening to this right now, if you've done it long enough, you probably have sold something where if you look back in time, you, you wouldn't have wanted to sell it, right? Maybe you just mm -hmm. didn't really understand it when you first started, right? They just give yeah. you some leads and they say, hey, you can make a check and you start dialing and smiling and you make a nice commission check and, you know, you really don't put a whole lot of thought into it. But then as you oh, start yeah. to more experience and learn about the business model and the back end and the fulfillment, sometimes you come across a certain situation where you're like, this doesn't feel right. Like, I don't want to stay in this industry. And, and that's where I got to a point where I was 24, 25 years old where I'm like, I don't want to do this forever. This, this is not my calling. And, and at that point, I was already introduced to the concept of self-directed retirement accounts and knew a little bit about real estate where I wanted to get into the financial game. I remember in, in fourth grade, we had an exercise where a teacher gave us a newspaper and every single day she challenged us to follow a stock. And, and she, the exercise was just to learn, you know, the, the basics of a stock, right? Like, what does it sell for? What's the open? What does it close at? And she just had us pick a certain company to follow every single day. Mm -hmm. I remember I was fourth grade. I chose Nike stock. And mm -hmm. that was something that, that was planted in my head back then, too, where I liked the financial side, you know, stocks, real estate, you know, investments, retirement accounts, it intrigued me. So when you combine all of that together, I'm 24, 25 years old, and I wanted to make a change. And I'm somebody that doesn't have a college degree. I dropped out three months into college. But for me, what's been able to get me to a point where 
I have become a, a leader and, and own a company is, is my network, right? You know, they say your, your, your net worth is, is your network and it's mm-hmm. true, but you also have to put in a lot of action and, and time to make that actual network produce and you have to give back. It can't just be take, take, take. So luckily I was able to have a solid network where I was able to make a, a transition from selling real estate to self-directed retirement accounts. And that was about six years ago. And so I've been in the self-directed arena now about six years and I haven't looked back. I really enjoy what I get to do in the sense of just seeing the demand. So many people don't know about these accounts or CPAs or financial advisors are not telling them the truth. And it's either because it doesn't make them money. So they're not going to tell you about promissory notes or private lending because it doesn't make them money. Or they're not going to send them to me either. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. They don't want their, their clients putting money in real estate because they'll make a lot more and take all their money out of their, those portfolios. So I I love the the side of the fence I'm on. I'm not here to push a product in the sense of buy this insurance product, buy this stock, buy this property. I'm here to just, our team understands their goals. Like what does this person need to accomplish? They need, do they need funding for their startup? Do they need to pay off some debt? Do they need to buy a rental? Do they need to put money into a deal? You know, we just try to figure out what they're trying to accomplish and help them understand the different options that are out there. So in that way we can facilitate everything and help them cross the T's and dot the I's. So, you know, they're in a better spot, you know, in the future. So it sounds like, you know, if I could take one thing away from what you just said, starting with selling real estate services, you and I have a very similar progression, which is why, again, why I liked what you said in Vegas when we met at, at the convention or at the Build Your Network Live with Travis Chapel. Um, you had a set of a book of business. You had these clients you're working with and you kind of realized, hey, I, maybe I don't want to sell them what I'm selling, this real estate education anymore. I really want to do something that benefits them more. And I did the same thing uh, selling homes. I said, you know what? Selling homes is great but I think these people should be buying duplexes and fourplexes. And that's what I did. I started buying duplexes and fourplexes and house, excuse me, house hacking, moving into rentals. And I've done that for the last 10 years. And, and a couple of years ago, I realized like, Hey, you know, actually there's an, there's something that's a little bit better. That's buying big multifamily investments. And it sounds like you've done the same thing where instead of just selling these people stocks or options or insurance, you've said, Hey, I want to do what's best for my client. And what is that? You know, maybe it's starting a business, maybe it's starting the turf business with, with the 401k. And, and I really, really like that. And I think that's how you become very, very successful is by putting the client first. And that says a lot, you know, there's not a ton of people that, that do that. I feel like just in any, any business that, that I come come across, most people are trying to get that paycheck and the, the client is kind of a byproduct. And so I really appreciate your approach is putting the client first. But before we get more into self-directed, what you can do with it, I, I think I've got a million examples and questions I wanted to ask you. Take me back to Daniel Blue, age 13, 14, 15. What was your life like? What were you doing? And, and what kind of goals did you have? Man, that, that's a, an interesting year. The, and, and at this point, my parents, you know, they just got divorced and, and before I was 13, <clears throat> I had both parents in my house and, uh, you know, my dad, he was the, the, the soccer coach, the basketball coach, you know, we kind of had like the 
perfect home in the sense of, you know, we lived on a cul-de-sac. We, we'd play baseball, football, basketball. Like my house was the hangout house. Like I think for everyone that's hung out at someone's house or they lived on a cul-de-sac, like that's every kid's dream, right? Like yeah. you got the basketball board out front, you got the street lights on, like you're hanging out outside, skateboarding, playing sports until those street lights come on and your mom comes out and says, you know, it's dinner time, right? So that was, that was really my life until I was about 13 because what happened then is my parents got divorced and at that point, my dad, he, he moved to Mexico and, and, and chose to stay there. So wow. it's now just me and my mom. And we, we moved a ton. We, we lived in a lot of different places, you know, over from 13 to 18. I mean, we lived with friends. We lived in a hotel for about a month. I mean, we, we moved a lot. I went to a lot of different schools. I moved from uh, California to Utah. So that, that was pretty tough. But one thing that I stuck with was sports. And I think there's a common denominator between sports and, and, and sales slash business. Like you got to learn how to take L's, right? You got to learn how to get blown out, right? Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to get crushed in the first half and then make that comeback, right? You got to learn how to get crushed for the whole game and learn from your L and then come back the next day or the next week and make adjustments right you got to learn how to take l after l after l and have a 10 game losing streak and like how do you stay mentally you know on point you got to learn how to deal with a winning streak right i think all of us salespeople, you know good month good commissions you know we're, we're selling things are going great and you let the foot off the gas you start you know getting sloppy right so i think there's a what lot what do you think harder so, sorry sorry to interrupt but I really like what you just said. What do you think is harder is as a salesperson, a business owner dealing with the losses or the failures or dealing with, with a lot of success? I forgot who made this quote, but success can be a horrible teacher. Mm-hmm. And one thing when I watch, and I don't watch a ton of football, but I remember watching a Patriots game the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I forgot when, and it was like the fourth quarter and the Patriots were up big. And you can see Bill Belichick going down the sideline and he's just like yelling at his team as if like they're down by a touchdown. There's only a minute left. (laughs) So like constantly in, in, in a mode of trying to get better. So for, for me, I I think it's the L's, you know, having those, those losses, you're going to learn a lot more. You're going to learn a lot more about the scenario and why you took the L, but then you're also going to learn about yourself you know, how, how you deal with adversity, how you come back, how, how you deal with that kind of, you know, that, that mindset shift and, and how you stay the course. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting that we're talking about that because, you know, I, I sounds like you had a lot of struggles growing up. You had a divorce, you had tons of moving. I had the same thing, parents divorced, we moved a ton, not a lot of stability growing up. But I feel like the L's or the losses or the failures that you encounter growing up and growing up in business, starting a business, really, if, if you can come back from that and learn how to just keep pushing and pushing through, that's what will ultimately make, make you successful. And, you know, I have a question that I ask all of my guests and, and it's a question that I take very seriously. And, and man, I, I just think it's so important, but, but do you think work ethic is more important or do you think talent? I mean, what's gotten you to where you are and, and which do you think is, is more important for you? Yeah, that's, that's a tough 
question because <clears throat> I feel like the, the true greats have both of those on point, right? You know, because you can have yep. a lot of work ethic, but not have intention, not, not have belief, not have a game plan, you know, not be dialed in and you're just working to work, right? Yep. A lot of people say I'm busy or I'm working. It's like, okay, are you really working? You know, how yeah. productive are you with that time? Right. And then on the other side, you got talent, right? How many, and I always just compare it to sports just because like, that's just how I do it with, with business. I, I, there's so many similarities between employees and a locker room and a team and there's culture yeah. on both sides. So how many athletes have we seen that have like all the talent in the world, but like their cancers in the locker room or Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I don't know if you're a basketball um, fan, but he was out of the league for, for like, a, I don't know how long a year couldn't get signed by a team and he is physically as good as LeBron James and skill wise as talented as, as LeBron James, but he doesn't have the work ethic and he hasn't put in the effort to become the, a great player. And, and every game he doesn't play the defense. And so that's kind of the example I use. If you're a sports fan is Carmelo Anthony, he should be, should have had multiple championships by now. And he hasn't cause he doesn't have the work ethic. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to put me on the spot and ask the question, you know, I'm, I'm going to take work ethic and just hope that that person has a good mindset, you know, is, is, is coachable, is open-minded because, you know, you could be a very hard worker, but if you're hard headed and you know, you're not coachable, then you're just going to be swinging the hammer working and not getting a lot done. I love it. No, that's a, that's actually the best answer I've ever heard. You took it a step further, you know, so I'm assuming that whoever's got a, an amazing work ethic that doesn't quit is coachable, but I had never brought it up on, on the show or on one of these podcasts. So I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, so I did summer sales to get through school. So I went out every April through, you know, mid August knocking doors either in Kansas City, Philadelphia, New Jersey, California, and I would sell pest control or I would sell alarm systems door to door 10 hours a day. And I wasn't the most talented. I wasn't the least talented. I didn't have the best work ethic, but I had a pretty darn good work ethic. And I made a, for a college student, a lot of money every summer. But I remember watching kids who were terrible salesmen. They just were not that good, but they put in more hours than me. And they would sell more than me or sell more than other guys that were much more talented than them. And it seemed to me that the guys that had all of the talent in the world most of the time failed because they didn't like the rejection. They didn't like the L's. They didn't like the losses or the failures or the rejection. And they couldn't cut it. And they could have been, you know, they could have made six figures in a summer doing summer sales. Instead, they made five, 10, 15, 20,000 and went home and made a lot less than everyone else. So that's kind of my experience is yes, you've got to be very open-minded and you've got to be teachable and coachable. And uh, most of the people with an outstanding work ethic, I think usually are. And I think that kind of goes along with work ethic is you have to be open-minded. You have to realize you're maybe you're not the best. And so you've got to work hard, but, but how has that helped you in your business? I mean, you've, you started six years ago and you're doing amazing things now. So how's work ethic helped you in the last six years to build up your business? 
you know, I think from a, for, for the people that are, are, have management positions that are listening to this, maybe you're, you're managing people that are older than you. You know, that's been something that for a lot of my life I've had that, right? You know, I, I started in sales at 18 and I started where everyone starts. Here are some cold leads. Here are some reprints. They've already been called a bunch. Have fun, right? So you start with the, 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 the crap leads, right? And then you just yeah. kind of work your way up, right? So a few years, about a year and a half after I first started, I got my first sales team. I got my, my, my first wow. team that I ran. And I always remember this, man. My very first team that I had, there was five of us, including myself. And I was 19 at the time. I had, at this time, I had a couple 21-year-olds. And then I think the oldest was like 23. And like we were just like the band of misfits that no one gave a chance <laughs> at making, making it work. And we did well. We crushed it. And uh, wow. so I've always had people that were older than me that I've had to, you know, be, quote, unquote, you know, the manager. So I think work ethic is is automatically going to give you some kind of respect. Like if you can say you're going to do something and then you do it and you follow through with your word and you're consistent and reliable, it, it, it's hard not to respect that person. Yep. So I think for, I for me, for sports, you know, I was never the most talented person on my soccer team or basketball team, but I knew my role. Like I knew I just needed to play defense. I needed to do the dirty work. I needed to do some things that weren't going to show up on the scoreboard. Right? I just needed to be dependable. And at that point, if I could do that consistently, like I'm going to make the coach play me. Like he's going to have nice. to play me because he's got no choice. Right. So kind yeah. of the same thing with sales. Like I'm going to make sure my manager promotes me. Like I'm going to make sure I move up. I'm going to give him no other option to do that. Right. Yep. So nat naturally people start to follow someone like that just because it's uh it's just good energy to kind of put out there. It's great. No, I love that. And, you know, I've hired and had real estate teams uh, for years now. I got my start in real estate cold calling. So I would go from about 8.30 a.m. till noon or one o'clock cold calling 20 to 30 to 40 people every single day. Then I'd do lead follow-up and go on appointments until six, seven, eight o'clock at night and go home and do it again the next day. So for five years, that's that's how I started in real estate. And I'm not the most popular, fun-loving guy that goes out and parties and has a ton of friends and goes to, you know, that's just not me. I'm, I'm pretty private and, and have a few friends. So, you know, in real estate, you either have this huge network of people that are going to give you business or you've got to go cold call for it. And that's what I did is I worked my butt off. And now I'm working to build my sphere because I realize I don't want to cold call ever again. It's tough, <laughs> but I've hired these agents and just like you're saying, there's been a couple that they just put in the work and they make tons of money. They're hugely successful, but then there's these other agents who end up having to fire or let go or they leave on their own because they want to show up and they just want it given to them. They, they don't want to put in the time and, and I just hired a new assistant and she didn't have any of the skills that I, I really needed. She doesn't have a real estate license. She's never been a transaction manager before, but I knew she, I knew her from a, a mutual friend. She works really, really hard. She's all business. She's disciplined and she'll get stuff done. And, and so I'd rather teach her the talents 
and the skills and and help her along than have to try and motivate her. I mean, motivating people is so much harder than teaching them the skills that they need to succeed. And and so that's why I like work ethic over talent. But let's talk a little bit more about your business. We're we're gonna run out of time quickly. I I mean I've enjoyed our conversation so far, but I really want to know what are some good examples, maybe on the real estate side, since most of my listeners and my investors' friends are are more into real estate, but you know, you talked about maybe people investing into a fund, but what does that really look like? What's the process if they want to invest in a fund or in a syndication, or if they want to buy a flip through their 401k or their IRA? What is the process and, and how hard is it really? Because I've heard some horror stories about how hard it is to convert those 401ks or to get the money out. Well, it, I'm glad you bring up that last part of our, as far as it being difficult because that's really our bread and butter. Like that's our business model. And, and what I mean by that is the reason why a lot of people think it's hard is because they're dealing directly with the custodian. So there's tons of custodians throughout the country that are like the banks, like they hold the 401k, they hold the self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k. That's really all they do. They just hold the money. They don't really provide tons of customer service. They don't really help with the facilitation, the education. They just hold the money and that's it, right? So if you go directly to them, it might be harder than you thought it was gonna be because they're kind of like, okay, here's the paperwork, figure it out on your own, right? So. We're the buffer between the custodian and the client. So we're that, that middleman. So we do all the education, the customer service, the facilitation, and really take people by the hand and walk them through it step by step by step to make sure that it's something that can be as seamless as, as possible. So that's number one, our role. Number two is once they have the money in the self-directed IRA or the solo 401k, the solo 401k it's a great retirement account because it's specifically for entrepreneurs. It has way higher contribution limits. It's exempt. 000, from, I think, is that it? 56,000 per year. It's exempt yeah. from UBIT, unrelated business income tax. That's a, a separate tax that folks would have to pay on active investments or leveraged investments inside their self-directed account. The solo yeah. 401k is exempt from UBIT. Self-directed IRA, you got to pay it. So there's some advantages that the solo 401k has over a self-directed IRA. They still invest the same way, right? I can still take a self-directed IRA and a solo 401k and do a promissory note to Joe on a first, uh, first position and get, you know, my 10% a year or whatever it is. Right. So the, the process, once the money is in the account, it's pretty much up to the client to figure out where they want to place that money. Do they want to do, passive where they're just lending the money out for a period of time and either they're getting some kind of fixed rate of return because it's a debt instrument you know like mm-hmm. a, a promissory note or maybe they're getting some some equity right maybe they're putting their money into an llc and that llc is used to buy an apartment complex and everyone that's in this llc gets a preferred rate of return with an equity kickback right so yeah. it just depends on how the investment's structured but it's, it's pretty seamless. You know, they, the client would go on the, the portal of their retirement account. They would see that they have X amount of dollars in assets. They'd see that 50% is invested in this asset, 50% is in that asset. You know, the dividends, the income that comes from this investment goes right back in the retirement account. 
Um, when they purchase a property like a flip, they could either just buy the property outright where there's no financing because maybe like your, your buddy that you mentioned where he bought the property for 160,000, maybe your buddy had 160,000 in cash in his self-directed IRA where he was just able to buy the property outright. Yep. Sometimes there's not enough money in the account to buy it outright. Maybe somebody is trying to buy a $400,000 property and they only have $200,000 in their self-directed account to work with. In that scenario, they could do non-recourse lending and use the $200,000 essentially as a down payment and work with a, a non-recourse lender to finance the other $200,000. So now their retirement account still owns that, that property, but there's just a mortgage attached to it. Right. And, and it's I've had done. both scenarios. Both of those have been great. Have you had any, any of those scenarios work out well where they did the non-recourse loan? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I have clients that use money in their solo 401k or self-directed IRA where they own the property outright, no mortgage, rental check comes in every month, like a dividend and the cash just accumulates. And then I have other clients where solo 401k or IRA buys property and then that rental income comes in, but then a lot of that income or some of it's going to go out for the monthly mortgage payment. So right. uh, I, I've seen I love it. Both ways. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I had, again, horror stories. I, I immediately thought of those two scenarios where I had a client, found him a great property. I mean, he would have made a ton of money on it. And he was working directly with the people holding his money. And he couldn't figure out how to get the non-recourse loan to work. And by the time he figured it everything out, it the property was gone. Same thing with my professor is it took him almost two months to get his money out on a self-directed IRA, but he wanted to do it himself. So I'm really glad, glad we're talking. I am curious, what do you think the average time would be just to pull cash out? Let's say I find my client a $150,000 property. He's got the cash. How long is the process going to take to be able to close on that deal? Is the money already in the self-directed account with us or is it at Fidelity? Nope. He's probably, he's probably at Fidelity is a lot of these guys. It's, it's okay. not there yet. So, so, so if it's in the self-directed account with us already, it's just going to take a, a business day, a couple business days. Okay. Once the docs get signed by the client for that money to get wired out and go to escrow, right? Or go to the LLC. If Got it's it. with Fidelity or Charles Schwab, it's going to take anywhere from two to six weeks for a okay. company like yeah. Fidelity or Charles Schwab to release the money and then get it moved over to us. It doesn't take us that long to set up the account, but what takes about a month are these big financial companies that just sit on the paperwork and have yep. their own processing time, right? Where they say, yeah, we'll release your money in you know, 17 business days, you know? No, they wanna keep earning interest on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because that's been the big question is, why is it taking so long? And And I think it was uneducated clients that, you know, I don't, that's not my thing. I don't do that. So I just let them do their own thing. But it took, I think, eight weeks. And then one of them, we missed the deal. And I think three months later, he had finally just figured out how to get it out of Fidelity. So I think it was a combination of Fidelity dragging their feet and my clients not really knowing the steps and the processes. So I'll definitely put them in contact with you in the future. I think that's, it's really smart to not miss out on deals and and just to pay someone to, to do it the right way because the implications of, let's say he bought that flip and then he did the work himself. I mean, there's some serious tax implications, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he withdraws all of the money and doesn't use a self-directed account, when he withdraws that money, 
it's going to get treated as, as income, right? So yeah. he's going to have to pay a bunch of taxes, yep. a 20, 30%, depending on his tax bracket, plus a 10% early withdrawal penalty if he's under 59 and a half. So technically 30, 40% could be taken off the top. $100,000, you lose $40,000 right off the top. Jeez. Yeah, not good. I mean, definitely don't want to do that. So, so the non-recourse loan for, for listeners that don't know what a non-recourse loan is, that's what's really, really cool about this is non-recourse means it, it, it's not, the loan isn't based on your credit. It's not based on your credit worthiness. The loan is based on the retirement account. And let's say you buy a really bad investment, you make some big mistakes, you manage it incorrectly, you lose it. The non-recourse means the most that, that can happen is they go after your retirement account. They can't come after your personal home and your personal credit. It, it, am I describing that right? Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. The, the way that non-recourse lenders usually work is they, they base it off of the value of the retirement account and then mm-hmm. the cash flow projections because they yep. want to make sure that there's going to be some cash flow coming in so they can collect their mortgage payment from the property every month yep. from the retirement. And, and, you know, that's one huge reason that we have gone away from buying duplexes and fourplexes with recourse loans, loans based on our own credit. That's why we're buying these large, large facilities because it's a non-recourse loan based on the property, based on the cash flow of that property. And my investors and myself, we're not on the hook for our, our own credit. So, you know, in the downturn, uh, I mean, you were selling real estate education during the downturn. During the downturn, people would lose a property and maybe they weren't ruined financially. But guess what? They couldn't take advantage of low prices because they had ruined credit. They had terrible, terrible, terrible credit. So those non, non-recourse loans through your retirement account can be a much, much safer way to invest. And, and I think it's something more people really need to look into. Yeah, 100%. You know, and, and that's what makes our company really unique is you know, we've got a, a vast network of third-party companies that we work with, right? We've got a few different custodians that we have relationships with. Um, we've got relationships with non-recourse lenders where we can send our clients to. If clients need help with tax and you know entity structure and tax consulting, tax prep work, we've got a, a third-party company there. If, if they need help with estates and trusts and wills, you know, we've got a third party that we can send them to. I mean, we've got a solid network of third parties between business credit, you know, SBAs, term loans, estate planning, tax side, non-recourse, a lot of different financial companies, resources that we have under our umbrella where we can really, really deliver some, some solid service to our clients to make sure it doesn't matter what business you're in, what industry you're in, there's probably going to be a, a time and a place where you need to talk to someone about a trust, you know, maybe taxes, maybe funding, right? So we strategically align ourselves with some solid financial companies to give our clients the the best value. I love it. So it sounds like you're full service and that's how we are with real estate as well Is we don't want to just sell you a property or sell you an investment. That's the last thing I want to do. And then just say, good luck. You know, I actually, I don't do this a lot, but I sold my friend a, a townhome. It's a great rental. And I found the renters and managed it for free for him because he had a bad car accident, couldn't do it himself. But every one of my, my investors, I coached them and I helped them and I set them up with the right real estate attorney and to get their LLC and the right insurance company. And, and really, I think that's the next level of service. It sounds like you guys do the same thing. You don't want to just say, 
hey, we're your self-directed IRA people, your, your uh, solo 401k people, figure out the rest. It, it's really, hey, here's, here's what uh, we have for you and we're going to set you up with all the right people to make this easy and smooth. And, and so my next question was, what's the first step? Let's say I've got 200000 in my solo 401k or self-directed IRA, or maybe it's not, maybe it's just in a regular IRA. What's the first step for these people if they want to get in touch with you and, and want to start working towards investing through a solo, one, solo 401k or self-directed IRA? The best thing would be to, to get on the phone with my team. So I've got two departments. I've got, you know, an, an education team where, you know, my team gets on the phone with the client, understands their needs, helps them understand the different options in the self-directed arena. So in that way, they can really understand the ins and the outs. And then once the client wants to move forward with the account with us, then they get on the phone with our processing customer service team to help them facilitate everything. So the best thing to do would be to go to our website, it's yourquest.com. That's Y-O-U-R quest, Q-U-E-S-T.com. There's mm -hmm. a contact us form. A couple basic questions that we would just need to need you to, to answer, you know, things like your phone number, your, your email address, your name, and then that gets inputted into our system. My team would get you, get you on the phone and start just walking you through that, that education process. Uh, you can reach me directly. I'm, I'm pretty active on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. I do a lot of Facebook okay. content, try to provide value to, uh, to people out there. Again, my name is Daniel Blue. I'm out here in Las Vegas. So I'm not aware of another Daniel Blue in Las Vegas. So if you see me on social media, that's me. And you, know, you guys could feel free to DM me, shoot me a message. And uh, I'm pretty responsive and being able to uh, answer questions. Awesome. Awesome. And, and so I'm guessing they should at least know how much they have in their account. Anything else they need to know from Fidelity or to get started? Yeah, or should they just jump on a call? Yeah, it's always helpful for them to know like, who holds their money. You know, is it an IRA? Is it a 401k? Sometimes people don't quite know. That's okay. But if you can know, you know, which financial company holds it and, and you know, how much money is in the account, that's always a good place to start. So it's just a matter of from, from there, just being able to then let us understand what, what their needs are. So that way we can kind of pull back the curtain and, and help them see all these options that haven't been explained to them before. Got it. I love it. You know, one question I wanted to ask you is we're getting ready to buy a, a hotel, my partner and I, in Farmington, New Mexico. Not sure if you've ever been there, but little uh, small town in northern New Mexico. We're buying it for, I mean, it, it's basically a flip or a rehab project. We're buying it for about 95% uh, less than what this, the guy paid for it nine years ago. So he's run it into the ground. But we're going to be looking for financing to basically pay for the rehab. We don't want to go to a typical, uh, normal bank. It has some issues. We don't have to want to deal with underwriters. Is this an opportunity where someone who has a solo 401k would, I mean, if they just wanted to be the debt to pay for the financing, I mean, would that be a good option for people? Yeah. You know, and, and, and this is where it would just need to be. And, and this is where you want to make sure, on both sides, you know, you've got attorneys that, that bless these kind of deals as far as, you know, how the, the, the deal is actually structured, you know, is it a first lien position? Is right. it, you know, is it a fund? You know, I see a lot of clients invest in like reg A's or reg D's. So that, that's where, you know, on both sides, people raising money and people investing money, you, you want to make sure that, you know, there's a right structure. So you're staying within compliance, but yeah, I, I've right. seen clients invest 
in, into hotels and, and other assets like that where you know they'll just be a debt investor they'll lend their money out for maybe two years with a one-year extension and, and, and make Got a it. fixed rate return. yeah i mean we we just we have some some just some minor rehab that that we need to do a roof we need to update the units and it's it's already cash flowing it's a great purchase for us but it's just it's a small enough deal where i don't want to deal with paying i don't know deal with a bank but we're working on a couple of larger deals actually we have a 90 million dollar portfolio we're trying to take down in indianapolis we've got one in dallas i mean so it sounds like you've seen people put money into syndications and funds for those type of multifamily investments as well yep for sure Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put all your contact info at the show note in the, you know, in the show notes, anything else that you have going on, anything you're trying to accomplish before the end of the year or the beginning of the year for 2020 that you want our listeners to know about? You know, for, for the people that are 1099, that, that are making commissions, that are entrepreneurs, even if you don't have a retirement account, it's not too late to start. Right. Yeah. The, the solo 401k is, is a, a retirement vehicle. As I mentioned, you can put up to 56,000 a year into it. And the cool part is you can make that contribution be Roth and, and a Roth contribution is super powerful because the money you put into that Roth solo 401k, you pay taxes on the money you put in, but then it grows tax free. I mean, that's huge. Tax free. Yeah, I mean, if you put $20,000 a year into your Roth solo 401k, if you did that for five years straight, you know, now you got a hundred thousand in there. And if you can get that a hundred thousand dollars to grow to 500,000 over a period of time, all of that's tax free. Right. Yep. So absolutely. It's a, it's a powerful tool, whether you have a retirement account or you don't, you know, right now we're at a really, really low tax rate. Who knows how low, how long, these low taxes are going to be. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd rather pay taxes right now at this low rate and, and lock oh, yeah. in a low rate and, and make some tax free money down the road. Absolutely. Or if you're like me, you try to sandbag this year and put off a ton of closings till next year and <laughs> contribute yeah. to your Roth this year. And, and then, you know, no, that's awesome. That's a really, really good point. If I, if I could have my listeners take away one point from today, it would be a, work hard and be open to coaching, just like you said, but B do, do a Roth, put money into a Roth and then grow it, you know, do hard money lending or flipping or, or you can get a 10% return through syndications. I mean, that's our, that's what a lot of investors get when they invest in deals like ours. That's really hard to, to beat if you're getting tax-free money at a 10% or a 12%. You know, I've even heard of right now, my buddy's getting up to 15% for hard money loans. So if that's in a Roth account, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's so huge. So thank you so much, uh, Daniel. I really appreciate you being on.